Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? How y'all doing? Not for real. Tell me how y'all doing. I'm just sitting here looking at the beautiful weather. It's beautiful. Sun is shining and a cloud in the sky. It's blue skies. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. It's pretty. I just want to sit outside and love up on the weather. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Thank the Lord I can look out the window. I can look out the window and see how beautiful it is. It's beautiful. Grass is green. We got a little bit of rain the other day. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, it's lovely. Flowers is blooming. Anyway, now that's just a bunch of silliness, and you know it. You know it. Something wrong with that boy. No, ain't nothing wrong with him. He's just from Sussex County, Delaware. Don't know no better. How many of y'all know there's only three counties in Delaware? Sussex, Kent, and Newcastle, and there's only one area code. That's how small Delaware is. One area code, the 302. I could be a rapper, you know. I just put that on my hat, right, on my shirt. 302, I could make some sort of hand signal. You know how they're always flashing the gang signs and all that. Boy, do we have a great show for you today. I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm well mentally. There's a whole bunch of you out there that are going, yeah, tell us something new, Sean. We know you ain't right in the head. That, you, that, that, that boy ain't right. That boy ain't right. He should medicate. <laughs> boy, the government would love that, wouldn't they? Get old ninja pastor on some drugs. No, no thank you. No thank you. I'll hold off on it for right now. All right, so... Let me just tell you this. Welcome. Where have you landed? You're thinking to yourself, if you've never listened to the show, you're you're thinking, I'm going to listen to that nice pastor. There's your pastor guy. He's a pastor guy. I'm going to listen to a pastor guy on there. He's going to talk a bunch of verses and stuff and Bible and, and use a bunch of, you know, amen and stuff like that, and it'll be great. Well, I do do that, but uh, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm just fired up today. I'm fired up. We've got a great show for you. We have some incredible guests. Uh, Dr. Steve Turley, uh, he'll be on. And uh, Bill Norton, you're going to love these people. They're amazing people. And it's going to it's going to kind of blow your mind a little bit. I didn't want to say anything, but it will. Uh, hey, last night's show, you know last night we do a message we broadcast. It's not really a show. Uh, but it's I don't know. I guess maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's entertaining. Um it must be because we had over 31,000 listeners. It's our biggest it's our biggest Sunday. 
31,000 listeners. And uh, last week's Monday show, we were nicking right at just under half a million listeners. So, you know, good lands. Tell your friends. You guys have a lot of friends. I have like four friends. I have nine friends. So I've told all of them, and some of them won't listen. I don't. I wonder if anybody from my family listens. I've often wondered about that. I'm pretty controversial, you know. I don't know if you caught on to that. But, well, not yet, mister. I'm trying to listen to you say something. All you've done is talk silly talk. <laughs> all right, I'll straighten up. No, I won't. Hey, you know why? I just thought of this. Maybe the reason we had a record number of listeners last night with over 31,000 listeners all over the world is I should have figured this out. Because last night I taught on only one verse, only one sentence. And, you know, I thought that it would be uh, the – hey, sorry, guys. I'm getting a bunch of messages saying, hey, chat's not open. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry. That's how the Canadians say it. I have a good friend uh, in New York City. She's from um, Canada. And I meant to ask her, do you say sorry? I'm so sorry. So sorry. Anyway. Uh, the verse I taught on last night, I said, I'm only going to teach on one verse, and it is going to be uh, one sentence, and I bet I'll be done in 10 minutes. Um, well, yeah, that didn't work out. That was not quite what it ended up being. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but the verse was, you might be interested to know, James, because we're doing a study in James, James 3, one. James 3 1, the complete Jewish Bible, which I teach from more than anything else, is not many of you should become teachers, my brother, since you know that we will be judged more severely. Did you catch all that? That we'll be judged more severely. Did you catch that? Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, since you know that we will be judged more severely. So that is the verse I taught on, and crazy as it was, uh, we had one of the most vibrant question and answer times. We always have a question and answer time. Um, it's uh, it's kind of cool actually, uh, because once we go off the broadcast, we kind of we go off the rails, and folks ask any question they want. They know I'll they know I'm going to answer it straight up. Uh, no PC, no holds barred. No holding back. We're just going to lay it all out there. And so uh, we did. The question and answer was long and vibrant. I don't think we pulled out of there until uh, – it's in Newark, Delaware. I don't think we pulled out of there until, I want to say, 930. Maybe it, maybe it was right around 930. I don't know. But it was – we normally don't go anywhere near that long. Uh, but the group last night was just fired up, and it, it was great. The music was really great, too. Uh, Steve played the violin and fiddle. All at once, and then I have to tell you, folks. Let me be fair to you and just give you fair warning. If you ever come to this, it's uh, the way you hear about it is theninjapastor.com. You get the details there. Uh, com details are there. Um, we have. Let me see. What else? Uh, where else can you? Facebook.com backslash uh, the uh, God and Country Radio. Yeah. So you can get all the details there, or you can message me through Facebook. Uh, that's a good way to do it, or Twitter, or whatever. And I'll send you, I'll private send you the uh, the address where we meet every Sunday. Uh, we meet at five. We have a meal together, and then uh, five thirty we go live on the radio. But it was it was pretty awesome. But I have to say, 
the food last night. The food last night, and I feel bad because my good buddy, um, uh, my good buddy, Sean, couldn't be there. He's the one that manages the – he's built and manages the God and Country Radio uh, Facebook site. Uh, and he, he really, really uh, – he does a great job with it. He's really, really awesome. He's active-duty military fireman. Um, so anyway, the point is, is that um, <clears throat> it was – the food last night, and I feel bad for Sean because he was he was working last night and he couldn't come. Um, it was just a flat out shame. I'm going to tell you the truth. It was so good. The food was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Every bit of that food was just the best. It was the best. So good and wholesome too. We had a lot of wholesome food. Uh, we had these things called pawpaw. You ever have pawpaw fruit? It's a tree fruit, and it's uh, it's really pretty good. I mean, it's really, really good. Very good for you, too. Hey, so anyway, so if you want to join us, come there. Uh, look up the information uh, on Facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. Message me through that. Message me through my regular Facebook, uh, Dr. Sean Greener. You know, it's all, it's easy. We'll, we'll, we'll guide you right in. Uh, but I want you to remember to pray for my good friend, Chris Cahalan. He is a 46-year-old guy, good buddy of mine, and he is fighting pancreas cancer like a boss. Like a boss, I tell you. And uh, so he's back in uh, chemo now. He wasn't able to get the Whipple, uh, the Whipple procedure uh, just yet, and we're praying that the, uh, the chemotherapy will reduce tumor size to the extent that he can qualify for the Whipple surgery, and uh, we can get that taken care of. But we're, we are praying vibrantly for Chris, and I encourage you all around the world. I know I have some great praying people here. Uh, you guys are awesome, and I know that you pray, and I know that you are people that when you say you're going to pray, you pray. And uh, I love that. Got to be honest. I love that. Um I love the people that you are. I love the listeners of my show. Uh, you guys are really uh, half a million of a kind. <laughs> you thought I was going to say one of a kind, didn't you? Well, you fell for it, and I wasn't going to say it. Um, anyway, but p- pray for my buddy Chris. He he needs your prayers, and petition God that, that he'll work uh, his his amazingness. We don't serve an amazing God. We serve the amazing God. You know, he is the creator of all things, and and we know that his will be done. Chris will give him the glory no matter what, and that's what he's doing. And uh, I talk to Chris about every day, and we connect, and and, uh, he's an inspiration to me. And he's been on the show, by the way. You can listen to the... um, You can listen to... The, uh, that we, we have archives here on blogtalkradio.com uh, backslash the Ninja Pastor, our show page. And you can listen for free. It's, it doesn't cost you a thing. Also, I'm on iTunes. Hey, you know what else? I'm on uh, YouTube. I got a bunch of videos, got a bunch of hits coming there. Um, I do these little videos because people kept saying, now I have a face for radio. I'm just going to tell you. And uh, if you know me in person, you know that's true. I'm not making that up. But... People have asked me for some strange reason, pity, I guess, glutton for punishment, I guess. They say, hey, why don't you make some of those videos? And so I do that. They're very short, 
and uh, and I think you'll enjoy them. They're they're kind of high impact, and we get right to the point real quick. And and so that is if you go to uh, YouTube and you type in the Ninja Pastor, you will uh, you'll come up with me, and you'll be able to subscribe to my channel and follow me and all that stuff. Follow me at the Ninja Pastor uh, on Twitter as well. So look, <clears throat> pray for Chris. I know I know that. You will. If you commit to doing it, you'll do it. And prayers don't mean a lot. Prayer means everything. And while you're praying for Chris, pray for his family, too. Uh, they could really use your prayers. They, they, they're such good friends to so many people. They have a lot of great friends out there in Minnesota that are doing amazing, uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. And uh, so that is the the real deal there. I mean, they're Good friend, good friends beget good friends. So, I uh, I want to say hey to my military listeners all over the world. A special shout out to our Gold Star families. God bless you. Um, the Michael Strange Foundation, um, you know Bob and Millie and and Charlie and Marianne and so many others. You know the Michael Strange Foundation is named after uh, Petty Officer Michael Strange was attached to DevGrew. He was killed in Extortion 17. And then one of our other uh, gold star things we we uh, promote is um, America's Mighty Warriors. Uh, Debbie Lee, my good friend and sister uh, in the Lord, Debbie Lee, she is absolutely amazing. Um, she really, really does amazing things. Despite the uh, her son Mark Allen Lee was the first United States Navy SEAL uh, killed in Iraq. And uh, I actually have a commemorative shirt, and I'm um, sorry that none of that is available. That went so fast. Uh, and I have a commemorative custom-made, bench-made uh, knife that has an inscription on about him. And uh, So they do amazing things. And then Karen and Billy Vaughn, you know Billy Vaughn wrote the book. Uh, their son Aaron Carson Vaughn was also killed. Uh, he was a special operations chief, petty officer, uh, SEAL, and he... Um, he was also killed in Extortion 17. So terrible, terrible thing. But uh, Karen and Billy are doing amazing things uh, with the grief. It's just absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So God bless you all. I heard it uh, said often this week. Oh, by the way, let me just tell you really quick uh, about our guests. I kind of glossed over that. I just want you to know what to dealio. Uh, we in America, listen, honestly, we're in the worst position nationally and globally than in all of our storied history. I mean, if you look back, if you're a, a, a fan of history or a student of history, you know this is this is about as bad as it, it gets, and, and you can see on the horizon it's going to get absolutely worse. But why are we here? How really do we get to right the ship? As Americans, what can we actually do at this terrible, terrible point? What action can we, the people, actually take, and how quickly can we wrestle our country back from the crooked politicians and the unhinged, and, and, you know, I don't want you to get offended by this. Well, maybe you need to be offended, but the unhinged and wildly effective, they're unhinged, but they're wildly effective and diabolical left. Well, today, Dr. Stephen Turley, he's an author, professor, and expert on classical education, uh, he also travels and speaks, and uh, he'll be with us at the end of the show. At the beginning of the, the, the show, uh, Bill Norton, we're on for two hours today, by the way. Bill Norton, citizen patriot, successful, very successful businessman, uh, also from Arizona, uh, 
Phoenix, Arizona, self-educated constitutional citizen scholar and, and Center for Self-Governance master instructor. He's going to give you the facts that empower normal people to self-govern, to get our country back. So if you're not driving, text your friends, uh, tell them, you know, let them let them know, hey, get become a part of this. It, this is kind of spreading like wildfire. So why not? You know, more the merrier. More the merrier. So all that said to say this, look, you know, <clears throat> we we are in a bad way. We're, we're absolutely in a bad way. You look at um, Barack Hussein Obama. P- people get on my case all the time. Why do you use his middle name? That's that's not right. That's not right. Now, you're just being a bigot. Is his middle name Hussein or isn't it? How do you get the middle name Hussein? How do you get the name Hussein? What's the only way you can get the name Hussein? Anybody? I don't see us. I don't see any hands. For some reason, I don't see any hands. Oh, okay. I'll tell you, as an expert in Islam, you get that name by being a Muslim. <coughs> now, some people will have that name and they've rejected Islam. They don't. They don't. They don't follow the tenets of Islam. Uh, they were made have been born Muslim, but they've rejected it. They are. Uh, they are infidels now. They are apostates. And as their fellow Muslims find out about that, they'll kill them. They're nice people, those those Muslims. So, anyway, uh, all I'd said to say this, uh, Barack Hussein Obama is, is flooding the Bible Belt with tens of thousands of unscreened Muslims. And you look at these crowds, you know, they're, they're destroying Greece. They're destroying uh, everywhere they go. Quite frankly, they don't bring anything good anywhere they go. Um, you know, they are, it's just a bad thing all the way around. And... Ultimately, uh, he says he's going to do it. He's doing it. And you know what? You don't matter. Apparently, you don't matter. Apparently, we don't matter. Well, you know what? That's in the game plan, folks. That's, that is the game plan. That is the game plan. You understand this, right? Uh, he's doing this on purpose. He's not just dumb. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, he's, you know, he's the stupidest president we've ever had. No, no, no. He's he's absolutely doing exactly what he set out to do and destroy this country. And we're going to talk with our guests today. We're going to unravel why, why this is happening. Why are they doing this? What's behind it? What is behind it? So... And that's what we're doing today. We're going to be busy. Hey, I heard it said um, often this week that Republicans worry about Trump winning the nomination. Did you guys, uh, anybody see any of the Miss America, the really, really great Miss America last night? Uh, Miss Georgia won, by the way. There we go. Are we good? Everybody? Somebody, Somebody messaged me and let me know that we're all good here. Anyway, otherwise I'll keep talking. Um so all that said, um, she was asked a question, Miss Georgia was asked, the eventual winner of uh, uh, Miss America was asked the question, uh, what do you think, uh, was he guilty? Did he did he actually cheat? And she started off by saying, look, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to know. And there we go. There's some messages. Good, good, good. Thanks, guys. Uh, something weird happening at, at Blog Talk Radio where they're Giving me messages in my ear saying you apparently you've disconnected. 
we're going to reconnect into the show. Uh, so anyway, so she answers the question, and at first, you know, the first two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, she's, you know, she's smart. She's saying, look, I don't know enough about that. Uh, she might have said, hey, look, I don't, I don't follow football. There's so many more important issues in the world today. Football is not one of them. But she kind of back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, she's just It was just terrible. But everything else she did, her talent was phenomenal. A, uh, she's an opera, a classically trained professional opera singer. Very, very smart. Uh, summa cum laude, you know, all the way. It's really, really, really. So anyway, all that said is one of the contestants was asked about Donald Trump. Now, you guys know that Donald Trump, it's his. He owns it. He owns Miss America. He funds it. The whole deal. He puts this whole thing together. He's absolutely uh, a genius with this stuff. And... Um, it was one of the contestants was asked about Donald Trump, and they said, well, he's just an entertainer. He's just an entertainer, and uh, he's shaking things up. But you know what? Um, I think that's bad because real, true, uh, good candidates, uh, viable candidates such as Jeb Bush and Chris Christie, uh, you know, he's stealing a lot of the thunder. So my idiot light went off. I mean, it was just bouncing, just bouncing. It was red. Um, she didn't know anything nothing at all uh you know you you wonder you know man did she did she just get a little money from the campaign you know did did they maybe say you know hey if you get in there we'll give we'll give you you know heck with that 10,000 or 15,000 or 25,000 or 50,000 dollar um uh, scholarship that they give you just Go ahead, just go ahead and say that, and we will give you money. I don't know. I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying that seemed like really crazy out of place, especially given the fact that the show is, that she's on and the, the money that's being paid and the stage that she's standing on and all the food she ate and uh, all week long and all the different things that are going on were paid for by Donald Trump. Just an idiot, idiot answer. Just an absolute idiot answer. Uh, but if you go to the Miss America contest and you are expecting genius, uh, you're, you're probably fishing in the wrong pond. But anyway, I heard it said often this week that Republicans worry about Trump winning the nomination. And then all of a sudden there's going to be business-related lawsuits popping up. I heard about it last week. I heard about it again this week. And it's stupid. The sad part is uh, that this, you know, these people that are saying this are Republicans. And from his own party, they're saying, hey, look, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to support him because, you know, he's such a big business person doing deals all around the world. I don't know. You know, he might – I don't know. He might get sued, and, and then, you know, here we've got – that's going to reflect badly on us as a country. And it might, and you know it's going to cause pundits or media to talk bad about him and give fodder to the Dems. And why in the world would we care? Why do we care? Let me let me lay something on you. Now, I've never I've never been that big of a businessman, but prior to my crash, I was a, a pretty successful businessman. And uh, I have to tell you, um, you know, you do a lot of business, and if you're successful, uh, it, you are going to you you are absolutely going to have people come against you, even if you do the right thing all the time. Uh, I have dear friends that they're being sued, I think today's the deposition, 
they're being sued that their dog called a pit bull, but it's not a pit bull, bit a guy who the dog, the man was never bit, and he's suing these people, and they're having to spend tens of thousands of dollars to defend a ridiculous lawsuit. Dog never bit him. The dog's not a pit bull, first of all, and the dog never bit anybody. The dog will lick your face off, though. I will say that. I I know and love the dog, and it's just kind of ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So, anyway, um, but you know, anytime you gain any sort of prominence, you're gonna that's going to happen. Business-related lawsuits, potential business improprieties. Look, this guy is a hugely successful businessman, Donald Trump. Now, let me let me end the outset here. Let me just say this. I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I am amazed at what he's done. I'm I'm blown away at the success that he's had. He has he has been extraordinarily successful. Extraordinarily successful. I mean, look, when you're worth billions of dollars, that that is pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. It's not pretty impressive. It's extraordinary. Uh, you know, that's 11 zeros, folks. That's 11 zeros. That is a lot, a lot of money. I mean, a whole lot of money going on. So you understand this, right? You know, that's 11 zeros, and he has many billions of dollars. So he's hugely successful, and, you know, hey, let's let's be fair here. He's going to get sued. He's been sued. You know, you work on deals like that. You ever read the one of his books is The Art of the Deal, The Art of the Deal. The deal's always, in this book, he says, the deal's always a little bit shady. That's business. In this day and age, we need someone who's willing and able to get in this fight. Uh, and I'm not saying it's him because I'll tell you the truth. You guys know uh, I'm pulling for Ted Cruz, folks. I'm pulling for Ted Cruz. I think he's got... Uh, he's got a lot of fight in him. He's got a lot of fight in him, and he's also brilliant. He's probably the most intelligent president we've ever, presidential candidate we've ever had run. And we, but we need somebody that's willing and able to get in the fight. And one of the things Trump is doing is is he is stirring some stuff up. Uh, he's saying stuff that that other people just uh, they just don't have the cojones to uh, to get it done. You know, come on. You know, so so the left tells us who we're going to run. The left tells us run a moderate because the moderates are never going to vote. The middle of the road Republicans they're never going to vote for no uh, super hard right person. Never going to happen. So run a moderate, okay? Run a moderate. That's who we're afraid of. We're afraid. The left tells us we're afraid of the moderate. If you run the moderate, that's I know we're in trouble. Then we want don't run that guy. But we fall for it every time. We're like, oh well, we have to run that guy because the moderate. Well, you know, people would look at Trump and say his background, his history, his political history, uh, his belief history, things he said, things that he's done. Uh, you know, they would say that he's a moderate, and they would say, you know, this guy's just he's getting press. But I'm telling you, don't look past the important value that he's bringing on his own dime, I might say, to the table. The guy is brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant, and I think he's clearing the way. I hope the person he's clearing the way for is um, is absolutely Ted Cruz. I, I'm telling you, folks, 
I believe Ted Cruz is the guy. He's the guy that make it happen. We're still working on getting him on the show. As you might imagine, he is super, super busy. So we're really, really, really fortunate here. Um, you know, it's not every day that you get to have uh, a really a self-made guy on your show. It's not every day. You know, this this guy, uh, Bill Norton, he's a, a master trainer, master instructor. With uh, Now, you guys know the Center for Self-Governance, right? If you don't know that by now and you listen to this show on a regular, my lands, y'all pay attention. Um, you know, uh, Bill is one of the one of the trainers there, master trainers, but his background is just amazing. And I'm going to dig in a little bit to what his background is all about. But I want you to understand, we're going to we're going to help you understand, truly understand what Center for Self-Governance is all about and how does that help you actually take back the country, wrestle back our country from the crooked politicians and unhinged but wildly effective and diabolical left. How does that happen? How, how, does, it, how does Center for Self-Governance do that? So that's one of the questions you know, that we're going to answer, one of the many. But yeah, his, his background is just, I've read his bio, and it's, it's just absolutely stunning. So I want to bring on, and I want you to make welcome, uh, Mr. Bill Norton from Phoenix, Arizona. Bill, welcome to the show. We appreciate you coming on the Collision of Faith and Politics. Good, good to have you on board today. I'm looking forward to spending several days with you all the way through uh, Saturday evening doing our Center for Self-Governance thing. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thanks for having me. Awesome. It's good to have you aboard. Tell me a little bit about your background. Now, what I don't want to hear is what drew you to Center for Self-Governance. I just want to hear, you know, what makes you tick prior to you learning about Center for Self-Governance. What is what is your thing? What's the thing? Well, I'm uh, self-employed, been, been self-employed for about 27 years. My brother and I own a custom concrete company in the Phoenix, uh, Arizona area. Hmm. And we started it when we were literally just a couple of kids. I was 16, he was 19, and um, boy, we just we just thought the American dream was awesome because you can just with a wheelbarrow and a shovel and a pickup truck, we could get into business. Well, well, if you have we were, Obama, if you have Obama to help you, because you know you didn't build that, <laughs> Bill, you didn't no, build that. No, not at all. <laughs> that's right. Now, over time, we realized, you know, over the course of a few years, we realized, you know, you can't just get into business anymore. Um, you know, as a, bunch, a couple of kids, we were pretty ignorant, but we realized that we were breaking the law in a lot of areas because we didn't have the proper <laughs> licensing and we didn't pay the proper taxes and we didn't. Right. So you just really can't roll up your sleeves anymore uh, and just go to work like you used to be able to do in this country. So that that kind of got me thinking. And, and then about 20 years ago or so, I I started uh, learning more about the, the Constitution and realized that if I really wanted to understand the Constitution, I needed to read the works that the founders read. Not just read the founders' works, but read who they read so I could kind of understand where they were coming from. Kind of what I've done for the last... 20, 25 years, and uh, I'm just a high school dropout construction worker that's self-educated in the Constitution, principles of liberty, and now I travel all over the country and and uh, teach these principles and attend many seminars and conferences and all that fun stuff. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting that's an interesting background. So, uh, where along the way did you cross paths with Center for Self Governance? How did that happen? Well, about three, three, about three and a half, almost four years ago, Mark Herr, who's the current uh, president of Center for Self Governance, him and 
Yeah, amazing individual. Um, him and I were at a conference together, and he, he was talking about how they had established this organization called the Tennessee Center for Self-Governance, and they were teaching some of their fellow Tennesseans a little bit about uh, what they had learned as they were going uh, into their own state legislature and, and trying to uh, make some changes. They discovered that conventional methods just don't work. It continues to get a, dig us into a deeper hole. Uh, it doesn't matter what side of the issues you're on. If you are operating in the wrong framework, uh, we continue to lose the republic. For, so what I'm trying to say there is if all of us, most of us anyway, operate as if we live in a democracy. And even those of us who know it's a republic, and we swear up and down it's a republic, and we know it's not a democracy, if you look at our behaviors, we still act as if it's a democracy. So even when we're on the correct side of the issues, because we're operating under the framework of a democracy, we're losing the republic. So the Center for Self-Governance not only focuses in on teaching some of the fundamental principles that the founders uh, discovered and put together to create this incredibly unique form of government, but we then take those ideas and theories that were experimental to the founders and show how it's no longer experimental to us because we now have 200 plus years of, of experience. And now how do we actually apply it? How do you actually get into your government and operate under the correct framework, the framework with which the founders set it up? Uh, so it's it's amazing. We're seeing just incredible results all across the country. But but so as Mark was telling me, here's what we're doing in Tennessee, I thought, you know, we we got it we got to spread this out uh, and do some more with this. And so um, I had the privilege of, of helping the Center for Self-Governance kind of formalize and fine-tune some of their curriculum. And so we, a few years ago, we developed these five levels or five classes. Um, and over the last few years, they've continued to evolve and and uh, have been refined. And, and so you've got these, these five levels that people can take uh, and and learn how to exercise control over their instituted government. So that's kind of how we cross paths. Um, and I got real busy with work the last couple of years and hadn't been able to teach much, but the last six months or so I've been able to dive in and and uh, just having the time of my life going around. And, and I, I tell people that I manufacture light bulbs because I just I love going into these classes and watching all these light bulbs going off in people's heads. Uh, this realization of how they can actually be effective in uh, controlling their instituted government. Well, that's fascinating, but here's what I here's what I think is really important uh for the the people to know. Um even as we speak, you know, I I've taken level what did I say uh, last in last week's uh, message or last night's message I I counted up all the times that I've taken uh been there for level 1 and level 1 I think I've I've been there I want to say six times, six times, five or six times. I, by the by, well, no wait. By the time Saturday night gets here, I will have sat through level one six times. Now, part of that is because I'm I'm dumb, uh, but but the other part of that is is because every time I sit through it, like you said, uh, you're the you're the you're General Electric guy, you're the light bulb guy, you're Thomas Edison because lights go off in my head every single time. And I get asked this question a lot. I, you know, I do a commercial for uh, on my show for uh, CSG, and a lot of times people will ask me, "Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. You know, I love your passion. 
Uh, but you're a guy that's been in postgraduate education for 11 years. You love to study. You just love to sit in class and, and study history and all that stuff. You're weird. I'm not weird. So why would I do this? Why would I take a whole day? What are you going to teach me? What are you going to teach me? And that's the question I think. What will I be able to do and how are you going to how are you going to make that happen? Well, the first thing that that's taught, well, I mean what what's your answer? What do you what do you tell people when they ask you that? Um I say and 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 it's funny that you ask that because uh, as much as I love it, I'm so passionate about it, I'm so into it that, you know, I put it to people this way. I say, listen, you think you can't fight City Hall, right? You think you can't do it. You think I am never going to uh, be able to win because you know what? You can't win. You can't. You can't beat. Don't we always hear this? You can't beat City Hall. Can't fight City Hall. I can't beat City Hall. Um, and you know what? I have to tell you, um, I've always been a fighter. You know, uh, I, I'm, I've always been in the fight, both as um, in the military and then as a, a contractor and then as a police officer uh, and then as a um, businessman. You know, you and I are both uh, small business people. I'm not small business person since my crash three years ago, but I guess kind of I am, you know, I have this show and, and all these things. Um, but I, I have to say, you know, this is a nuts and bolts thing that helps. I've never thought that I couldn't fight City Hall. I've seen how the sausage is made in Washington. I've seen how it's made all over the world in the dark underbelly. I've seen that. I've lived that. Um, I know the danger that awaits us firsthand, and I also know what it, what goes on uh, behind the scenes there in Washington D.C. Not just Washington D.C., but for Pete's sake, uh, Bill and I know you would say this, and I know Mark has drilled this and drilled this and drilled this. And every time I've had the pleasure of hearing him speak, uh, listen, if you think you're doing your civic duty one time a year every four years, then you're shirking your, your duty. You're shirking your responsibility. You're not, you're not a keeper of the republic. You're not keeping the republic. You're, you're doing one thing that, you know, and they hand out these stickers, you know, kiss me, I voted. You know, wow, aren't you something? Boy, we should make you president since you voted one day in the most convenient voting situation in all the world. You went and did that, and you get a sticker, and now you think that you've been an American. You've been a true American. You've been a citizen patriot. You, you know, wow, we're we're all good now because you voted. And then when you vote that one time every four years, you say, well, my vote doesn't count, so you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. Or what's worse, Christians stay home because they don't like the guy that's running. I hear this from people. Well, I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. By golly, if if Donald Trump is the is the guy, I'm I'm not going. I'm not voting. Or they'll vote for some, you know, crazy other candidate who nobody even knows who this guy is. Um, you know, it, it's or uh, they stay home. You know, it's got to happen at some time. Got to do it sometime. And I say to these people, listen, if you want four more years 
you think in your head, okay, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, maybe we need to collapse. Maybe we need to fall apart. Maybe it needs to all happen that way. Maybe it, maybe maybe the collapse needs to happen, uh, and we just need to persevere through it and rebuild. Well, I don't think people really, Bill, I don't think people really realize what everything falling apart looks like. And you know what? At the open of my show, I don't know if you were able to listen, but at the open of my show, uh, every single show, I give um, honor and respect to I'm a veteran and and to the veterans, the military veterans that are in the fight, and then I also the, the the people who were combat wounded, but then the ones, the parents, the families, the the Gold Star families, that in the process of fighting to keep this republic, actually fighting and putting their lives on the line, they died. I owe it to them to not think I'm Mr. Uh, good Guy, Mr. Good Citizen, by running to the easiest voting situation in all the world and voting one time, and then I throw my I throw my toys down and I kick through the sand and I go home and I say, you know what, I'm not voting anymore because it doesn't matter anymore. I did my thing and it doesn't matter. Or people do 100,000 uh, uh, Facebook posts and they think they're really doing something. They go to 100 rallies and they think they're doing something. They think they're really making a difference. I'm here to tell you, folks. All the rallies in the world, they're, they lift you up and they, they lift you. Listen, on the 17th, I'm going to be speaking in Pennsylvania on our, our Facebook page, God and Country Radio Facebook page. The information is there. Uh, we're going to be speaking to the uh, Kitchen Table Patriots. And uh, I'm real excited about it. I think it's in Lansdale or, or Warminster. I think it's one of those places. But ironically, five minutes from where I'm going to be speaking, we're going to have a class, a level one class, uh, on Saturday, so uh, Thursday, I think it is Thursday. I'm speaking there on the 17th, and then on Saturday, we're back in that area, and you're going to be there teaching these people level one. I say it this way, Bill. I say, listen, people, wouldn't you like to know how to to not be helpless? Wouldn't you like to know how to stand up to your elected representatives? Wouldn't you like to know what they're supposed to do so you can hold their feet to the fire? Wouldn't you not like to know how to hold their feet to the fire? Wouldn't you like to, to not be helpless? And CSG does very, that. Absolutely. And at the very least, wouldn't you like to know uh, that that your actions mean something? Um, the, the feeling that you've talked about where we vote and we just feel like, boy, my vote doesn't count. Well, it's because your vote's pretty watered down when we only do it once every other year, once every four years. Um, and so you get that feeling. The one thing about CSG students that we've seen is that uh, I've watched them over time as they go through the various levels, and they become much more confident. They become much happier because they they don't feel like they're just drowning in in uh, ineffectiveness. Um, so it's, it's really exciting classes. We've got some people who are already politically active, and those folks. Um, are fantastic in class, uh, although they they sometimes have the hardest time because they have the hardest time making the paradigm shift. To, to well, let me let me interrupt you there. Let me interrupt you there because, you know, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because you know what? I I don't want to paint a picture that that nobody's out there busting their hump, working every day, uh, in the fight every single day, trying to make a difference. Um, but there are people that are in that position that might think, you know, you have five levels. Well, I'm a level 10. 
because I do all these things. I don't need Center for Self-Governance because, man, I'm I'm so politically involved. I'm so uh, my my political acumen is so high that I don't need that. I don't need that. I, I'm already I'm already a ten. I mean, I haven't taken any of the courses, but I'm a ten. What yep. do you say to those people? Because I because well, I know how it works, and I know. Believe you me, Bill. Believe you me. I've seen people who are extremely politically active sit in that class, a level one class, and watch their eyes light up. I've seen politically active people who are are at the the epicenter of the fight. They're on the front lines. For years they're on the front lines and they sit there and I watch tears come to their eyes when the light bulb goes off. You hand them a light bulb, you plug it in, and boom, there they go. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I say to folks like that, because they there are a lot. In fact, I was one myself who, who'd been involved in politics for years um, and felt like I was doing some great things. What I would say is really analyze what you're doing. If If most of your work and, and many of these people work tirelessly uh, day after day. But if all that work is focused on that one day every other year, election day, whether it's to vote for or against an issue or for or against a candidate, if all your efforts are focused in on just making a difference on that one day, then you're contributing to bringing our country down the road to democracy. And democracies always fail, but uh, James Madison said that democracies are just as violent in their deaths as they are in their lives. Mm-hmm. Or uh, uh, John Adams said that democracies always exhaust themselves and waste themselves away. And he said there was never a democracy that didn't commit suicide. Yeah. Um, and so if we're if so we're doing all this hard work and it feels like it's we're just not getting anywhere. We're not getting anywhere. We're not getting anywhere, and we just don't know what to do. And we keep fighting. It's because we're operating within the wrong framework. We've got to be operating within the republic that the founders established. So that's that's what I say to those who have been politically active. Now, those who feel like they want to get involved, so that's the second type of student. The second type of student, though, that those that haven't been involved feel like they need to and want to learn more. Now, those ones, they're just boy, they're fresh, they're wide-eyed, they're they're just open to to whatever ideas they can get. And uh, and so those types of students, of course, they they're learning just firsthand what kind of government they live in and and how to operate within that framework. And so it's pretty exciting for them. But now both of those students, the thing that they need to realize is that in level one and level two, we're going to be talking mostly about theory. Um, And so if if you come to the class expecting you to get tools on how to implement strategy and all those things, you're just not going to get it in level one and level two, because we have to have this paradigm shift. We have to, understand what framework to operate in. Then it's level three, four, and five in which those tools start coming. Here, now, the, now that you know the, the framework, here are the tools to operate within that framework. We could give you the tools right from level one, but if you're still operating in the wrong framework, those tools are not only going to, going to do you no good, but you're actually going to continue to lose the Republic because you're operating in a different framework. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what people can expect. You know, if they come to those classes, it's one of the first uh, complaints that we hear from politically active people is, you know, the class was great. It was awesome. And I learned so much, but, but I just, I expected to, to learn some how to's. Well, we're not going to do that until level three, four and five. Um, so as people come into it with that expectation, then they're completely prepared to go through theory for the first couple levels, and then and then start going through those tools. Mm-hmm. 
but it's exciting stuff. Well, one of the things that I've seen uh, in in watching politically active people take uh, the level one and, and of course, the level two um, is they go in uh, reluctant, I guess I would say, and you see the look on their face like, wait a second, you know, when are you giving me my little bag full of, you know, I go here and I knock on this door and I, this is what you say when you talk to a congressperson, this is, you know, blah, 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 you know, any number of things, because that's what we're doing. We're doing door hangers, man. You know, we're walking neighborhoods. We're we're doing call banks. We're phone banks. We're doing this. We're doing that. You know, we're we're down at Legislative Hall. We're making relationships with the with the representatives, you know, one on one. We're doing that. So when do we learn some secret sauce? And and I say to people, and I've had people who are very politically active who have expressed a reluctance, why would I even go to this? I'm already a level 8, level 10. There's not a level 8 or 10, but I'm already there. And uh, why would I do it? And I, and I say this to them. I say, listen, imagine how effective you would be if you truly, truly understood what is behind all of these things and the how and the why we got here. And imagine if you're very politically active and you lead an organization that is, you know, part of what you do and you have volunteers and all these different things. Imagine if you had, for me, you know, I'm I'm working on my third doctorate. And I can tell you the training I've had in CSG is among the best training I've ever had in my life. And what if you could send your people what if you could send your people to training and have somebody like Bill Norton, who has an extraordinary history of experience and, and learning on how to keep the republic, but what's behind why we're where we are now? What if you could do that? And what if you send maybe 10, 20, 30 people from your organization and you sit them down for what is an extremely modest fee – and they get you know excellent materials and and there's there's interaction in class and they're so fired up and they come home and they say man I can't wait to do level two I can't wait to do level two I'm going to do level two I'm going to I'm going to hurry up and do my homework I'm going to do level two when's the next class when's the, where can I go to do level two and they're hunting it up and those people come back and by the time they get to level three all of a sudden you've got a a force multiplier you've got people who are so totally plugged in, who so totally understand, even though in your busyness you thought you really taught them the how and the why. Just follow me and watch me. Watch what I do. I don't have time to explain it all to you. Just watch what I do and, and then do do what I do. And I'll tell you what to do here and what to do there. But what if you had this training and had you know, 15, 20, 30, you know, 50, 100 people from your organization going to this training, progressing through Center for Self-Governance, by the time they get to level three, they're ninjas. They're political ninjas. And you have multiplied yourself ad infinitum, exponentially. And that's what I tell them. And uh, I tell them that because it's absolutely true. It's it's completely 100% true uh, right down to the, you know, the light bulb that goes off in their heads. And, and it's just, it's for me, it's an extremely cost-effective way to train your team. If you're if you're that person, send them. Send them by the droves 
And at CSG, we will make sure they have the best training available. And before too long, they're going to be ready to rock and roll. So where do you see CSG going, Center for Self-Governance? Where do you see it going? What do you see on the horizon? Well, they can hardly keep up with the, the demand, boy. It's it's amazing how far they've spread throughout the country. In just three years, we are in what, 24, 25 states. We're actively teaching uh, a lot of classes in about 18 states. Um, and we've got just a number of states that are just clamming for us to get in. And so we, you know, I think over the course of the next couple of years, we'll be in all 50 states, and the goal is to have... Um, you know, a few hundred uh, teams across the country. We call them KTR teams. They're Keep the Republic teams. And, uh, you know, have a few hundred of them across the country really making a difference. The success rates that we're seeing these KTR teams have uh, on a local and state level, uh, I mean, they're they're successful 85, 90% of the time uh, on anything that they tackle. And even the the times that they're unsuccessful, what what they learn in the classes, they learn how, uh, even when they're not successful, gather the intelligence that they need to be successful at the, the next thing that they tackle. Because, see, it's not about the candidates and the issues and things like that. It's about keeping the republic. So whether you are win or lose on an issue, it doesn't matter if you've gained intelligence that helps you uh, to keep the republic. And so even when I say that they're 85% successful, they're really, in the long run, 100% all the time because they're constantly gaining the intelligence they need. They constantly are are uh, are, are using that intelligence to enforce the, the government boundaries and and keep keep their elected officials in line and and make sure that uh, that we continue to operate within the framework that the founders established. And that is a, a very uh, limited government, but also one where control is is spread out uh, to where no no one person can gain. Uh, all the control over government. Uh, and it's a brilliant system that they set up, and that's really what CSG teaches is how how to enforce that system. When you look at the political landscape today, uh, what what gives you the greatest fear? What The trepidation, well, maybe you're, I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Maybe you don't have trepidation. Uh, what do you see when you look at the current landscape of governmentally, politically today? What is the thing that, that gives you the most pause? Um, just uh, two things. One is the, the the complete disregard of our form of government on the side of uh, of our government and our elected officials mm-hmm. and their lack of understanding. Uh, and then, of course, the people, they're the ones that are supposed to be enforcing our form of government. And so just the lack of education. So it, uh, what I fear is, you know, you mentioned earlier, some people believe that maybe we just need to let the thing collapse in order to rebuild it. And, you know, that that may be the result, but I, I tell you, that's the last thing. That, I mean, it, it's one of the – one thing we really need to avoid is any kind of uh, major collapse. If you think tyranny is painful, just wait until you experience anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, anarchy is far more painful. That's That's why when you look at human history, every time a civilization falls into anarchy – Anarchy is very short-lived, doesn't last very long, and they usually go running as fast as they can back to tyranny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, they, and they usually establish tyranny far stronger than it was before the anarchy. Um, and so anarchy is an ugly thing. It is something that you don't want to experience. You, you, you do not want to have 
your loved ones and your children and things experience anarchy. Um, so we really don't want to wait around until the collapse comes, thinking that we can we can then rebuild. Well, it's a pretty ugly thing that rebuilding process. Uh, and so if we can keep the republic now and 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 bring it back within the proper fr- framework now, that certainly is the goal. So my my fear, my trepidation is that the people will not be willing to uh, be educated enough, and that's really what it takes. Thomas Jefferson said that that the only true corrective of constitutional abuses is education. He never said it requires better elected people. He never said it's, it requires better courts or better court decisions or better legislation, anything. He simply said true corrective of constitutional abuses is education. On another occasion, he said, enlighten the people. Enlighten the people and tyranny and oppression will vanish like evil spirits at the dawn of day. Mm-hmm. So really, that's the key is education, and my fear is that the people uh, will not be willing to be educated. But that's they're proving to to uh, to be just the opposite of that. The last five six years, we have seen people wake up more and more. They've had a strong desire to be educated, and uh, and so we've just seen some exciting things happen all over the country. So I, I've got a tremendous amount of faith in the American people. Uh, like Jefferson, uh, he said that he. He has faith in the American people, and even though they may be led astray from time to time, uh, they usually come back around, and uh, and they're the only people, the only ones that we have to rely upon uh, to keep our rights intact and to uh, help keep the republic intact. It's the people. So as I've traveled around the country and I've met some amazing folks uh, and, and some of the people in CSG, and I, I do have a lot of faith that the American people We'll pull out of this. It, it may be a tough process. It might get ugly from time to time, but uh, but I think I think we can do it. The founders thought we could do it as well. The the struggle between uh, power and governance, the understanding the difference between power and governance, those two things. Uh, one of the things that I really really uh, came to understand very very fully in level one is that power and governance are simply not the same thing, and. I think one of the things that struck me the most is here I'm this church guy, you know, uh, divinity school, seminary, all these things, doctorates in theology, all these things, and I knew where my power originated, but I didn't really, really live it. I, I didn't, I didn't live it. But our demise came when we believed power came from, originated not from God, but these people that we we say. We don't have power over City Hall. We don't, you know, we're helpless. The it, I think Mark called it the it. Power doesn't originate from it. Um, they want us to believe this. The left, uh, the the abusive uh, politicians on the right, because it's not just a left or right thing. I don't want people out there in the audience, we have about a half a million people listening, I don't want people out in the audience to think, hey, you know what, this is just for conservatives. Uh, This is just for white bread folk. Uh, You guys, I don't know if you, Bill, have been there, but I know a bunch of the the CSG, Center for Self-Governance instructors, have done very vibrant classes in none other than Ferguson, Missouri. Yep, yeah. Yeah, we've been in Ferguson. We've been in in, – we're in Washington State – quite a bit in Washington state we've we've got uh 
Republican groups, Democrat groups, Libertarians. I mean, I, I, I've had a class that I taught in California not too long ago. I had uh, Republicans, Democrats, and Libertarians all in one class, and that was only among like 10 people. Um, and it's exciting when you when you do that because you start realizing that we can all come together to keep the republic. We may disagree on some issues and things, but when we put the republic first, those issues start disappearing. And uh, and so it's it's very exciting, and it's very exciting when those people realize that the control isn't in government or power isn't in co- government, and so we stop fighting each other for that power because we realize. The power is located in us. It originates out in nature and located in us. And it, and so we we start coming together a lot, a lot more. Um, Thomas Jefferson, uh, in his first inaugural address, he said that every difference of opinion is not a difference of principle. He said we are all, we all call ourselves of the same name. We are all Republicans. And he's not talking about the Republican Party, of course. He's talking about the republic saying that we, we all live in this republic and we all want to keep the republic and so we are all on the same page when it comes to that, even though we might have differences of opinion. And he said this after trying to bring the country together after a very, very bad uh, election there, the, the 1800 election between him and uh, John Adams. It was pretty, it got pretty nasty. And so that that's why he, that the context with, when, with which he was saying that was, hey, I I love you guys. I love you all and love love John Adams. You guys are great, even though I strongly disagree, and I think the country would, would be harmed if some of your principles were put in place. But even with those differences of opinion, we are all part of the same team when it comes to the republic. Uh, so it's exciting. It's exciting when we see people in the class that come from all different walks of life, difference of opinion, and they realize that they can come together and be mutually pe- mutually pledged to each other as members of this great republic that we call the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, you know, one of the things, let me just say, uh, people, now, some of our audience is in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, uh, those areas, all within striking distance of uh, Delaware. And we have on, uh, if you've taken level one, we have a level two class starting at 1030 on the 15th. And that's in Camden, Delaware, uh, right near Dover, Delaware. We have that there. So you go to centerforselfgovernance.com. You sign up for that. If you've if you've taken level one, go ahead and get it done. Uh, sign up for level two, and and uh, we'll we'll be excited to have you with us. I'll be there. I'll also have my books. Uh, we'll be able to sign books. I'll sign them. They'll be instantly worth half. Um, so that'll be something cool to do, and it'll be a lot of fun. Then on the 16th. Also down in Camden at the Spruce Acres Mansion, uh, the 16th, starting at 9 uh, a.m. to 5 p.m., 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., we'll be there, uh, and you'll be teaching Level 1. And that's a pretty uh, – this, this is a pretty powerful opportunity for folks that live in Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey – uh, even the even the lower tip of Virginia, we we have people come up this way, and then uh, on the seventeenth, we have uh, uh, an opportunity, another opportunity for level two, uh, which I will. We already have people in that class. I will also go to that class, even though I will I will have taken level one, level two, just a couple of days before. Um, I'll be there again, 
And that one is at Bible Fellowship Church of Newark. Uh, and so you go to Centers for Self-Governance, you put in you put in the date, the level, all those things. It's a very simple website. It's super, super simple. You put that in, you sign up, you pay your money online. It's, it's very, very quick, very, very easy. You sign up, you get it done. Um, that is, you can, look, you can talk a good game. You can say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm a uh, I'm a really really uh, politically active person. I I must make nine ten Facebook posts a day. Uh, I forward stuff on email. I mean I'm just you know I'm after it. I'm I'm on the team. It, but the reality of it is, Bill, and, and you know this all too well. The reality of it is is unfortunately Facebook posts don't get it done. Rallies don't get it done. Um, you know, and even reading certain books. I mean some some books out there are great books. And I'm a huge fan of reading with almost uh, 5,500 books. I'm into reading. But you've got to have the right foundation. And and I think that's part of why many folks have been so ineffective and part of why we're here. An example uh, that I'd like to cite is <clears> – <throat> You know, left and right, you know, we can look at left and right, and this really isn't for the right only, conservatives only. Uh, I invite anyone from the left. I have people that listen every week and send me nasty grams, and, you know, I, I, I get thousands of emails a day, and, and many of them are people who really, uh, they're supposed to be the tolerant left, and, and unfortunately they're not so tolerant. But the fact of the matter is, is you watch, uh, there's a thing I put on Facebook, it's a video, of this guy Avi, and he has traveled to uh, the Upper East Side or Upper West Side of Manhattan, and he's asking people uh, about the negotiations with Iran, the the deal, the Iran deal, and I I say deal with air quotes. So, and he he says, you know, do you like this? Do you is this something you like? Uh, what is um, you know, what is the um, how do I put this? Uh, you know, are you glad that the uh, in the in the deal with Iran, uh, American inspectors have to uh, go in and physically inspect that there's provisions in there to do that? Oh yeah, yeah. Would you agree that that's important? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And would you agree that military installations where we know they have a current Iran has a current uh, uh, program in place to develop nuclear weapons that it's good right that we can go in and look at those military bases that's good you know that's a, that's a good thing oh absolutely absolutely you'd agree that you know be no sense in having any sort of agreement without that and then he asks a bunch of other questions you know just identifying look this 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 deal doesn't have any of that it doesn't have any of that. It has none of the restrictions that it should have, and it allows them, allows Iran to do just roughshod, uh, you know, things. And and I have to say, when uh, Avi turned it around and he said, "Well, you know, that's great that you agree that this is great and you really support this and you're behind it," but you know, here are the facts: the deal as it currently exists. And in fact, one of the guys interviewed, uh, he starts off and says, "You know, I've read the entire plan." Well, you must have a top-secret clearance, and you must have been uh, in the upper levels of the negotiation team on one of the five countries that were invited, which didn't include Israel. 
you must really man, I've lucked into it. I'm interviewing somebody super special here today. And and uh the guy says, well, I read the whole thing and the whole plan as it's written, it's very well written. Well finally when it, when Avi says, Hey, you know what? <laughs> Here's the sad thing of it is, is you don't this deal doesn't have any of those things. Nothing, nada, zero zip. Would you still support a plan that doesn't include these things that we mentioned? And he names them off. And they say, No. What why would I why would I ever support that? Yeah, that's my that's my point exactly. Uh you have people who think they know what they don't know, and that's the worst possible person. That's the most dangerous thing is somebody that thinks they know what they don't know. They think they know all about it. They think they're really, really on top of it, but they don't know what they don't know, and they don't know that they don't know it. What do you do with those people? I mean, to me, Center for Self-Governance is perfect for those people. Hey, are you willing to invest invest $50 and come and learn the deal? Because it's not a political uh, that's the thing, folks. Uh, folks in the audience here, listen. It's not a. You're not going to hear a bunch of political talk. You're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear real history. You're going to hear how it really works. How the sausage really is made. The secret sauce. You're going to hear that. Yeah, and anytime we get into politics as examples, you'll find that we, we uh, give examples from all sides of the spectrum. So because we find that. It happens uh, all over the place. But, you know, the people that that think they know and understand, um, you know, they're tough. It's tough to cross is helpful or helpful with is helping us realize how how much we really don't know. Uh, and then we start learning. Well, you we go know. from the language of captivity to the language of liberty. Words like contrarian, contention, destructive, limiting, oppressive, fear, doomsday, hopeless, suppressive, subjugation, selfish attack, manipulative, divisive, war, conflict, confusion, lonely. And then you go into, uh, after training, you learn the language of liberty, which is selfless, positive, optimistic, hopeful, enlightening, forward-thinking, empowering. You know, all of these things, enabling, vision, Happiness, motivating, protecting, maintaining, perpetuating, defending, informing, unifying, and inclusive. You learn words like this. And those are real words that get real things done. You know, it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. I think, folks, that's one of the things that I, that I enjoy seeing in the eyes of people who attend, especially level one. I enjoy it so much because... The light bulb, I'm glad you said that about the light bulb because that, that really rings true for me. Um, people really and truly, the light bulb goes off even if when they sit down they say, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm too smart for this. I'm too wise for this. Well, I'm on the left. You people are just shoving conservative values and stuff in my down my throat. You know, uh, but when you watch them, and everything changes as they sit there, they realize, wow, this is this is real. This is this is real training. Uh, what is it about habit and long training? What's that saying? I know you probably have it memorized, just like the back of yeah, your hand. Yeah, Je- Jefferson just said that uh, that self governance is not natural. It requires habit and long training in order to uh, in order to 
to learn it and understand it and to exercise it. Um, you know, the, the natural state of man, at least the, the, uh, the bad part of man, the carnal part of man, our natural state is to, is to be in a, a, a state of anarchy and at best a state of democracy, which is mob rule. Um, it really takes effort for us to, to live in a society in which we get beyond that mob rule mentality and actually get into a, a mentality in which uh, it's still majority rule, but we protect each other uh, through the rule of law based on based on natural law principles, our, our rights and unalienable rights and whatnot. I mean, it's, it takes effort, and it takes it takes a higher degree of humanity in order to to do that. So that's why Jefferson said, um, self governance is not natural. It's not it, it's not something that uh, just comes comes to us naturally, but uh, it takes habit and long training. Um, and Excellent. so it's important. It's important it is that we're important. going to keep this republic. It's important that we come to classes like this and, and, and we we get into the habit and we train ourselves. I uh, I thought it was interesting last night. I only watched a little bit of the, um, of the Miss America uh, pageant, or I guess they still call it a pageant. And in that, I... I I think there's maybe three or four of the talent competition, and then those that passed through that uh, were asked questions. They had 20 seconds to answer. And one of the contestants, uh, they were asked the question, and it was a very loaded question, obviously, uh, about Kim Davis, the the uh, clerk in uh, Rowan County, Kentucky, about she has she has denied she's denied. Uh, she's refused to obey the law and issue uh, these these same-sex marriage certificates. And the reason I bring that up is not necessarily to get into that discussion with you because I know you have to go, but it's to identify, uh, and, and this is, um, I hate to, I hate to put it this way because it really boils it down too too much. Um, to identify how little people actually know. They think they know, but they don't know. They really do think they know, but they don't know. And and, and the answer that the lady gave was, uh, the young lady gave, was, well, you know what? Uh, she's she's a federal employee. I kid you not. She's a federal employee, and she has to obey federal law. And this is the law that was passed, and she can't discriminate against people by denying them the opportunity to marry just like anybody else. You and I both know that's not fact. First of all, it's not federal law. Just because uh, Supreme Court, and this is one of the things you learn uh, that's really reinforced in level one, uh, Supreme Court doesn't make law. They issue opinions on law. The legislature enacts law, the state legislature. And and, and one of the things that I, I found so empowering in level one was of CSG is is that hey you know what listen states read your constitution go back and read your constitution read your laws know what the laws actually are and and be empowered in the fact that um you know in Kentucky for example in Kentucky uh the uh the law is not for same sex marriage it's not for same sex marriage at all. In fact, it's against the law. And that that you know, it's it's 
yeah, and we have people commenting on the um, on the chat. She is an elected official, but when she was elected 26 years ago, never on the horizon would she have ever believed that anybody would ever say, "Hey, you know what you have to do? You have to put your stamp and swear to." A same-sex marriage thing. Now, four years ago, she placed her faith in Christ, turned her life around at the deathbed of her uh, her mother-in-law, and you know she she has a, a, a you know a, a series of beliefs which she's allowed to have that conflict with her with her job in, the, in from that standpoint. So anyway, all of this, um, I'm just you know on a national stage. I think the point I'm trying to get to is on a national stage, this person gave an answer which was totally and completely incorrect. Not that it disagreed with me, the feelings, any of those things, but it disagreed with fact. There was no element of fact there. A, she's not subject to federal law as a clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky. B, Supreme Court of the United States doesn't issue law. Congress hasn't made a law that has worked its way down to the legislature of Kentucky, where Kentucky now says, oh, you know what, you have to do it. There is no, the oath that she uh, is upholding is to Rowan County, Kentucky, period. That's where she works. And I know it's hard for people to believe and understand that she's not some, you know, uh, through some special thing that she says when she gets sworn in, that she's some federal employee. Ultimately, she's fe- she's not at all federal. She's Rowan County, Kentucky, and only Rowan County, Kentucky, period. Subject and, most, to law- and most of the state laws regarding marriage licenses anyway, I don't know how it is in Kentucky, but most of them uh, state that, that the counties may issue marriage licenses. They don't have have to issue them at all if they don't want to. In fact, there's been some of those counties in, what, Alabama or whatever that have just simply said, we're not going to issue any marriage licenses. Um, But you're exactly right. Regardless of where you're at on on the issue itself of same-sex marriage, what this issue is is about is about enforcing boundaries. Uh, The federal government has no authority to come into that county and, uh, and try to act as if they have power over them. They have no power and they have no control um, over that county clerk. Uh, We do not live in a national uh, system where we have a national government that oversees all things. We have a federal government, a federation, which is just a a confederation of states, uh, each level of government having their own responsibilities, and the federal government does not have responsibilities in this particular area. The Constitution does not uh, give those responsibilities. So, uh, and you're absolutely right. The Constitution, the area that it does give is uh, regarding legislation. Congress uh, states it states all legislative authority shall be vested in a Congress of the United States. So the courts cannot make law. They cannot uh, pass a law that, that I mean, they cannot give an opinion that all of a sudden requires every single. Uh, uh, county clerk in the whole country to now change their whole system of of doing things, and it doesn't it doesn't all of a sudden automatically alter all state laws. I mean, it's that's kind of the problem that we're in. We're in a situation where we think we behave as if we live in this national democracy where the national government has all power and uh, the majority rules in all things, and and uh, and so that's the problem. Uh, 
what's what's interesting is is this people who are coming to her rescue are uh a lot of them are conservatives and and uh, republicans and libertarians when she uh she's a democrat and that's really what we we strive to teach is this is we're all in this together and it's not about left right democrat republican if we see uh, an abuse of boundaries then by all means let's get in there and, and enforce those boundaries whether we agree with the particular issue or not well, one of our super, super uh, smart people in the chat thing um, here is uh, really brings up a good point. The Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution gives the right to same-sex marriage. They they gave an opinion uh, that they – because the Supreme Court doesn't rule, they issue opinions uh, – gave the, that the Constitution gives the right to same-sex marriage. But no law has been passed. In fact, an amendment would be passed – would have to be passed now to change it. And – and uh, he he adds on, uh, it's a touchy point for sure. And it is a touchy point because without things like CSG, Center for Self-Governance, we go based on what we think or what we feel, based on what we think or what we feel. And uh, the sad part of it is, is this contestant last night, millions of people watching, says something that she heard. She heard somebody tell her that, and they were wrong when they said it to her, and now... Uh, here we go. She's saying it on this large, large of a, a stage. It's just a shame. It's 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 a terrible shame. But that's where CSG comes in. That's that's where you, you guys really help people understand the truth. Now, I want to ask you one more question, if you would indulge me before you have to go, because I know you have to go, uh, and you've been so kind to give us so much of your time. I'm really looking forward to seeing you tomorrow and throughout the week. Um, we're real fired up about it. Um, is People say to me all the time, they say, you know what, Doc, I, I I get I get that you like history and I get that, you know, this history was unique and <coughs> maybe it's not true that, you know, all of our uh all of our founders were white racist, deists, or maybe they were atheists. Maybe that's not true. I don't know. You know, whatever. That's still up in the air, which it's not, of course. We know the answers to these things by reading their original writings and what they read and what they wrote. But that being said, um, they say to me, well, I don't think in this day and age, history, the history of our founders, what they wrote, what they intended, I don't think it's all that important. What would you say to somebody that says, you know, the history of our founders, it's just not important anymore? How would you answer that? Well, a lot of people think that it doesn't apply to today because, you know, the Constitution was written for an 18th century agrarian society or whatever else people state. Um, the founders wrote the Constitution based on human nature um, and and based on human experience and history and what works and what doesn't work. And so to somebody who who would say that it doesn't apply to today or, or, or it doesn't relate. Um, I would just express this. First of all, I'd ask them which, which part of the constitution doesn't apply to today. Of course, they wouldn't be able to tell me because they're just regurgitated. But basically I, I, I try to help people understand that the, there are certain natural law principles, just, just as, just as plain as what goes up must come down, equal and opposite reaction, all those other natural law principles relating to science and mathematics and all those things, there's natural law principles for good government. The founders didn't go out and try to find 
what worked according to their opinion. They didn't go out and try to find what worked according to uh, liberalism and conservatism. Of course, those terms didn't exist at that time, but but they, they didn't go out and look for those things. They went out and looked for what works and what doesn't work based on mankind and, and human nature. Uh, and so it absolutely applies to us today. Uh, and, and it's just as important for us to understand it today as it was 200 years ago and even 1,000 and 2,000 years ago. And if we don't pay attention to it, then we will go the way that mankind has always gone. We will fall into a state of first a state of democracy, then a state of anarchy, uh, and then we'll go right back to a state of severe tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we could we could ignore it if we want, but I don't want to drive off that cliff. The founders no, I mean, created a, 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 they created a system has been the best system in the history of the world. Sure, we still have to make some tweaks, and we still have to figure out how to work it a little bit better, but we have helped to free mankind all over the world just simply by our example. Um, And it's nothing special about us. The only thing that's special is that we we were able to discover some of these things and for the first time in history sit down and work out our form of government with reason and wisdom and patience, a little bit of arguing here and there, debate, um, but never had that been done before. Every other time, every government has always been established through conquest or through violence. Uh, it just, it's just never occurred where, where we sat down and worked out our system of government with reason and thought. So if people want to go back to developing forms of government that that comes through uh, violence and strife and conflict, then. I don't understand why they'd want to do that, but I guess we could try that. I'd rather go to a form of government that was put into place through peace and 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 wisdom and and discussion and consensus. Well, uh, I had the good fortune uh, and really total blessing to be able to meet and spend time with the uh, married couple who were actually writing Eritrea's. Uh, their their constitution and i met them in the united states and and i said well what are you guys doing here and they said there's no place in the world where a four plate a four page document could do what this one did so simple so powerful and so true so we're here studying that document we're studying the united states constitution because it's so powerful but so simple and we want that. And I said, well, why are you here doing it? Why not be in Eritrea uh, or what will be Eritrea? And they said, because we're killing each other there. there it's a civil war. We are in a total chaos. Uh, you know, neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother. They're, they we're killing each other because of, of the, the, uh, the tyranny that was foisted upon us, the corruption that was foisted upon us, is so wildly out of control, we just, it's unsustainable. And so our lives are in danger, and if we don't come here to America to study the Constitution, we won't live to study the Constitution. We won't survive. So you're right. I mean, I think that a lot of what's being done now in the the Hussein Obama administration is being done to bring about the clamoring, the begging 
for the government to come in and rescue. And, hey, I don't feel bad now. Uh, we need them. Obviously, they were right. We need the government. Uh, and, in fact, we should give the government more power, more authority to tell us what to do because we need their protection. Because you see what happened when we took control, uh, the illusion of us taking control. Well, Bill, I'll tell you what. I really appreciate it. I'm going to be seeing you bright and early tomorrow morning. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time. Folks, you need to understand that Bill Norton and, and, and none of these other people, this is a totally unpaid organization. And and these folks have a lot they could be doing. But instead of doing that, they are working super hard to keep the republic. They've laid it all on the line. They've said, you know what? Uh I'm going to give everything I had, everything I have, for the republic. Because freedom and liberty, why do people, so many people come here to the United States? They risk their lives to do it. Now, we know some are terrorists coming in pretending to be refugees, but the fact of the matter is, is why are they always going here? You know, nobody has ever says, look, I'm going to jump the fence and go to Mexico. Well, you get shot. I can't, I'm going to go to Syria. I can't wait to go to Syria. Well, you, you're going to get shot. You're going to get killed. No, they're not clamoring to get there. They're clamoring to come here. And since our founding, that's been the case. And I'm excited to uh, explore that further with you. I'll have you on the show anytime. You're, you're definitely an excellent guest, and I know our, our audience really appreciates it. I really, really appreciate you taking the time, Bill, and we'll look forward to seeing you bright and early tomorrow morning. I hope you're able to sleep on the plane tonight. Yeah, we'll get a little bit of sleep. I think I've got my upgrade, so that gives me a comfortable seat anyway. So Awesome. Get her done. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anything else you want to tell the audience before you go? No, I think we covered it. Awesome, awesome. You did a great job. Thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Take care. So there you have it, folks. There you have it. See, I would, I would contend to you that most people, they don't, really, they don't really want to keep the republic because they don't really realize that it's going away. And you know what? It takes effort, habit and long training. It takes, you have to do something. We have been, um, we, we have been entertained into numbness, just like the Romans did. Entertained into numbness. Somebody that knows an awful lot about the Romans uh, is uh, Dr. Steve Turley. Really, really super smart guy, folks. We, um, we're very fortunate to have him here. He wrote uh, a book that is just out. where It's, it's hot off the presses. Uh, Awakening Wonder, A Classical Guide to Truth, Goodness, and Beauty by Dr. Stephen R. Turley, Ph.D. And, uh, you know... He's a theologian. Uh, he has a Ph.D. from Durham University. He's a social theorist and a classical Christian educator, a prize-winning classical guitarist, which uh, so far I've yet to be able to hear him play guitar, but I want to do that. Um, and he's a member of the Tall Oaks Classical School. He's a faculty member there in Newcastle, Delaware. He teaches there theology, Greek, and rhetoric. Um, but he's also a professor of fine arts at Eastern University, and his research and writings have appeared in such journals as Christianity uh, and literature, all kinds of journals there, uh, Calvin Theological Journal, 
first things, Touchstone and the Chesterton Review. And so we're very, very fortunate to uh, have the author of Awakening Wonder, Dr. Steve Turley, join us. Steve, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Hey, Sean, the privilege is mine. Did you get a chance to hear any of our previous guests? Oh, I did. I felt like I was uh I was I was back in school. I, I was wanted to start taking notes and I mean he was framing my whole uh civic perspective in a whole new way. It's just fantastic stuff. Cool, 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 cool. Well we'd love to have you join us. I know you're very busy teaching uh during the day, but we'd love to have you join us sometime for one of our CSG classes. So tell me about this book. Tell me, what, you know, I'm always interested, as a guy who wrote a book, I'm always interested in what drives other people to write a book because, you know, I know you know this, uh, but folks, you know, writing a book isn't fun, it's not right. easy, and unless it's a bestseller, you're not going to make a lot of money on it. Uh, so it's really a, a, a labor of love. But what, what drove you to write this book? And tell, tell us about the book. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, I I think two things drove me uh, to write the book on a book on truth, goodness, and beauty. And uh, the first thing was that historically speaking, truth, goodness, and beauty were considered indispensable to fostering a, a genuine humanity. And this is because the original harmony that characterized creation has been disrupted by sin, death, and the devil. And it was only by encountering truth, goodness, and beauty as redeemed in Christ, that we can experience that original Edenic harmony and thus become truly human. So I wrote the book to invite the reader to encounter truth, goodness, and beauty uh, in such a way as to redeem the senses and sanctify the imagination to a more Eden-like state. But I think uh, a more pressing issue for me is um, the experience I've had with students at both the high school level and the college level, both Christian institutions, when I've asked them to give me an account for, say, truth or goodness, not, not bad, they're, they're all right uh, there, but when I ask for beauty in particular, uh, Sean, I'm not kidding when I tell you that what I hear is nothing less than full-blown aesthetic relativism. And if uh, you know how truth, goodness, and beauty work, you know that they, they come as a unit. They need each other and they imply one another. And so if, uh, if one of them has been dislocated to the personal, private, subjective realm, you could be sure the same kind of dislocating processes are going on with the other two. So I like to uh, point out some of the polls I've read on young evangelicals with, with homosexual marriage uh, that are increasingly accepting um, of this, this fad and I would submit to you that that moral relativism actually can be traced back to an aesthetic relativism. And so I wanted to address that issue of what is beauty, how does it relate to truth, goodness, and, beauty, uh, truth and goodness, so as to give our students and parents a full-orbed biblical worldview. Why do you think uh, the, the students nowadays don't get this kind of teaching? Why don't they learn these kind of things? Yeah, uh, a great book uh, for your listeners, uh, a resource would be uh, C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man, you know, mm -hmm. written back in the 1940s. And it was a critique of British education back then. So this, is, this has been brewing for, for plenty of decades. As I know as 
you're, you're well aware. Um, Lewis noticed in the modern age, uh, the modern age has a very different approach to the human person than we used to have. Classical education answered the question, how do I conform my soul to the divine meaning and purpose around me? And the answer was through cultivating wisdom and virtue. Uh, modern education answers a very different question. It, it's not interested in cultivating uh, the soul to the divine meaning and purpose. No, modern education is interested in conforming purposeless nature to my own desires and my own ambitions. And the way I do that, the answer to that, is is through science and technology, the STEM subjects primarily. And so we're living in a time where, um, you know, if you and I went into just a typical public school, we'll find that students can believe whatever they want about God. They could believe God is Jesus Christ. They could believe God is a pickle. They could believe whatever they want about God. But the moment they step into a science or math classroom, they're confronted with absolute and unquestionable reality necessary for the cultivation of skills that contribute to economic growth. And economic growth is important today because it's, it more effectively conforms reality to our own desires and ambitions. So while classical education sought to foster wisdom and virtue, modern education seeks to foster workers and skills. And C.S. Lewis reminds us that in the classical world, virtue was for the free man while skills were for the slave. Hmm. I like one of the quotes that you use, uh, uh, Sultanitan, beauty will save the world. Uh, uh, If the too obvious, so straight branches of truth and good are crushed or amputated and cannot reach the light, yet perhaps the whimsical, unpredictable, unexpected branches of beauty will make their way through and soar up to that very place and in this way perform the work of all three. And in that case... It was not a slip of the tongue for Dostoevsky to say, beauty will save the world, but a prophecy. Tell me about Mm. that. Tell our audience a little bit more about that. That's powerful stuff. That is powerful stuff. It it is. uh, Well, Solzhenitsyn was writing at the time of uh, the height of the Cold War, where he saw both the West and the Soviet East turning away from our Christian heritage and and embracing uh, modern statism. And uh, the problem, as C.S. Lewis saw it as well as Solzhenitsyn, uh, when you've done that, what you've in effect done is you've cut the human person off from the transcendental values of the true, the good, and the beautiful, like uh, your guest previously was talking about with natural law and human nature and the like. We just don't, Nature and nature's God. Yeah. You got it. We, and this is the thing. We, we literally, it's almost like we can't even think that way anymore. That, that way of thinking is so foreign to a, a modernist, secular society where the only things we know are science and technology. Those are the only things. All this other stuff you're doing, that's just philosophy, whatever. Well, Solzhenitsyn said, look, even if that's the case, even if everybody completely forgot uh, what we once had, there's something arresting about beauty, true beauty that draws us somewhere. Beauty in the classical world is a physics it's drawing us like a gravitational pull somewhere. And if it's truly beautiful, by definition, it's going to draw us to the true and the good. And he thought that intellectually we can throw truth out. 
as we're trying to do in the universities today. You know, morally, we could throw our uh, a moral law ethics out, replace it with situational ethics or something. But there's something when when we're encountering the truly beautiful, it stops us, it arrests us, because it it, it refuses to be uh, chained. Uh, by by our modernist sensibilities, we can't put beauty in a headlock, uh, and it cannot draw us somewhere. And that, for, for the Greeks and for the early Christians, developing all the way through the Reformation, that's the key of beauty. Beauty always draws us to the true and the good, and awakens a comparable love within us, so we can be human again. Cosmic piety. Tell me about cosmic piety. Oh, it's a great term. It's a term that classical scholars coined to describe the way the world was once thought of. Before the rise of the modern age, there was this idea that we're all born into a world of divine obligation. Mm-hmm. And this is because the world is, is filled with divine meaning and purpose. So whether it's the, the Greeks and the Romans and their gods, or whether it's the Hebrew Shema, you know, hero is the Lord of God, the Lord is one who created heaven and earth. Uh, to the Christians affirming that, in particularly in the uh, resurrection and redemption of Christ, to the whole cosmos. But the, uh, the world in which we're living is filled with divine meaning and purpose. And so every person born into the world is born into a world of divine meaning and, uh, and divine obligation. We're supposed, to, uh, we're supposed to conform our lives into a harmonious relationship with the cosmos. And this is why prayer and wisdom and knowledge and virtue were so important. This is why the, the Founding Fathers talking about a republic of virtue. Virtue understands that there are, uh, there are divine obligations embedded in the created order, and we are all obligated to conform our lives into a harmonious relationship with those divine obligations. We're living in a time where we, we've defined those divine obligations out the window. We, uh, we've split apart meaning from creation, you know, uh, we live in nature now that has no inherent meaning, it has no inherent purpose. And so now piety, uh, divine obligation, is a totally personal, subjective, preferential reality. Uh, if you want to be pious, great, leave me alone. I don't want to have anything to do with it. This is, well, this I'll is tell the you, age Steve, we're living in today. Steve, piety, to be pious now, is a pejorative. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, people have twisted that word to mean something that it doesn't. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. This is the odd thing. This is the, the strange thing about the age in which we're living. We're, we're trying to live in a value-free age, and yet we value that. <laughs> you know, we, we value our value-free schools. You know, we value our value-free uh, public square. It's... Um, it's it's something you see it you see it with the Kim Davis situation. Kim Davis is faulted for imposing her own personal religious opinions on other people. What the heck did the Supreme Court just do? <laughs> you 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 cannot. We're finding even scholars are figuring this out. You cannot define and uh, delineate the limits of religion as a public official without some form of religious reasoning, any more than I could talk about chemistry without some form of scientific reasoning. Mm-hmm. We're living in an age where the only people who are allowed to impose their own religious opinions 
on the entire population are those who believe they're not religious. Wow. I hope the audience... Audience, I hope that you... Uh, we have people that listen all around the world, and and uh, that's a strong statement. It, and it is interesting to me, the whole discussion of, of gay marriage, of same-sex marriage, if we believe the numbers that we're given... Uh, that it, that's about a three to five percent of the population, right? That right. it could potentially affect, right? But the reality of it is, is they say, well, what do you care about me being able to get married, and why do you want to legislate who I love and and how I love, and why do you want to keep me out of the hospital? What if my partner goes to the hospital, and you want to keep me out of there, and you don't want me to be able to make decisions just like you do for your spouse? And uh, why can't we split retirements and be on health benefits and all of these things together? Why can't we do that? Why do you want to deprive me of that? And I always have to laugh and I say, who is doing that? Right. <laughs> I don't I don't know anywhere in the world, uh, uh, as far as the United States, anywhere in our in our world uh, that, that, that we live under here, the laws in which we deal with. I don't know any any company right now. Where it would be less cool, it would be it would be less well received than to say, you know what, you can't be on this plan, and you know what, you can't come back. Uh, let's say somebody ends up in the emergency room and and they get admitted to the hospital. Well, are you family? Well, yes, I'm I'm his partner. I'm her partner. Um, there's nowhere in this country that anybody would be denied, and and all it takes is some minor. Uh, estate planning, some minor estate planning to get a a document um, that is a durable power of attorney and have a trust. It's very simple, very easy to get. And and none of the issue of marriage even comes into play. But, Doc, you know as well as I do, it's not about that. It's really not about that. We're saying it's about, look, you can't legislate who you love. You can't tell me who I can be in relationship with and, and share in retirements and medical benefits and governmental entitlements, all these things, you can't tell me, well, we know it's not about that. It's simply right. not about that. But because right. we don't have a sense of cosmic piety any longer because piety is, well, he's so pious. So-and-so right. is so pious. There was a time, sadly, not that long ago, where to be called pious was good. Right, absolutely. It's a virtue. It's one of the. It was one of the essential virtues. Going all even back to the Greeks, they could not. They couldn't even conceive of education apart from the goal of creating a pious citizen. One of the things that they say about Kim Davis, the left, the very kind and loving left, the very tolerant left. <laughs> one of the things they say about this lady is, "Hey, you know what? She's got a lot of nerve telling us uh, how to live." Look at her. She's been married and divorced multiple times. She's got kids by different husbands. Uh, you know, who does she think she is? Why does she right. think she's something special? You see now, you know, she's nobody to listen to. And I've been talking about on my show uh, and in my sermons and speeches all across the country, I have been uh, exposing the fact that, look, first of all, she's not telling you what you should or shouldn't do. Right. She's saying... Because of my faith in God and what I understand about Scripture, I can't do this. I can't swear to it. I can't do this. It violates my faith. 
And yet so many people, uh, and, and, and I'm really mad at, at a lot of Christians because they won't stand behind this lady because they say, they'll say these things uh, very incorrectly. So they'll say, well, who does she think she is? Why, um, you know, why is it, why is it that this woman thinks she's so above all of us? Why does she think she's so better than us? What makes her so pious? She's so pious. She's better than us. She can say, oh, well, I deserve to get married four times, but you don't get to get married once. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, you got And again, I just find it so interesting, the selective outrage, you know, the moral myopia. Because because this is the same questions could be although altered of course uh, thrown to the five judges on the Supreme Court um, the renowned Harvard law historian Harold Berman long ago recognized that all legal systems are based on beliefs confessions of faith creeds the question is therefore never whether we're going to have a legal system based on and interpreted by creedal commitment but rather always which one, which creed is going to be governing. And Kim Davis, in her own way, contested the arbitrary privileged status of secular liberalism as the reigning religious paradigm of our time. Uh, she's very, very brave, and I think it's a, it's a tragedy that Christians have been so secularist. Dare I say it, they've been so cut off from cosmic piety. And they're now they're reconfiguring, they're redefining their Christianity as a modern religion, and modern religions are personal, they're private, uh, totally subjective, because we live in a world that's known only through scientific reasoning, which exposes the fact that all our beliefs about gods or the god or divine meaning and purpose, all of them are just cultural fabrications, because we all know the world is just governed by biological, chemical, and physical causal laws. So ironically, when Christians, uh, I think, uh, adopt this position that she needs to keep her religious opinions to herself, they ironically are perpetuating a secular liberal paradigm. Well, uh, so what do you make of the statement that, look, Kim Davis, she gave an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. Oh yeah, well, that, you were just talking about that, right? Uh, I, I mean, you're going to get into the minutia in terms of Kentucky law versus right uh, uh, federal law and, and so on. For me, the issue is not so much uh, of her upholding the law; she is upholding the law, and you can look at it from from different vantage points. But I think the key is she's upholding the law as it is understood in accordance with the cosmic piety defined in Christian terms. This, it, it, we have to understand that apart from the Christian faith, uh, Ravi Zacharias has said this beautifully, we would never have said all men are created equal. Mm -hmm. Secularism could not have possibly said it, because secularism does not believe in creation, and it certainly does not believe in equality when it comes to the womb. So there's the only way we could have ever said all men are created equal is through a Judeo-Christian conception of the world. That's what she's operating from. So she'll be happy to administer the laws of the land, but not when somebody comes out and says two plus two equals five. Well, um, that brings me to one thing, and we're almost out of time, so I, I, I want to get this in. You teach in a very classical education uh, environment. Um, it's really uh, tall oaks, 
uh, they just won a huge award. They were mentioned in Delaware Today magazine. They're they're ranked uh, very very highly. Uh, they're widely respected. Uh, really uh, an impressive impressive school. And and uh, really the the big part of that is because of professors like Dr. Stephen Turley, um, professor and author. You know this is this look folks. You know this is. This is education hearkening to the old days when you really taught a student to think. You taught a student uh, so much. So much of the common core style education isn't uh, focused anymore on facts, uh, on realities, on on cosmic piety. It's focused on feelings. It's focused on well, I feel this or that. And, and it totally distorts the reality or the truth based on the feeling the person has, what they want, a certain feeling that they have. Um, right. So that being said, um, you know, the in your book, Awakening Wonder: Classic Guide to Classical Guide to Truth, Goodness, and Beauty. With that being said, where do you stand on the whole Common Core thing? Oh, yeah, the whole common core thing is, as I understand it, is rooted in the whole fact-faith dichotomy, the knowledge and belief dichotomy that's, uh, that's the reigning paradigm for, for modern education today. So in classical education, the world is filled with divine meaning and purpose. We're conforming our souls to that divine meaning and purpose through wisdom, the acquiring of wisdom, knowledge, mm-hmm. and virtue. So as Christians, we affirm truth, goodness, and beauty ultimately are revealed in and through Christ. And so we're teaching our students to think of the totality of the world, the totality of the cosmos, in light of Christ the Logos, the one in whom all things hold together. Um, that's not common core. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and, and, and therefore, by definition, uh, it seems to me we've, we've got a problem there, because what, what common core is going to do is it's going to push the idea that science, technology, engineering, math, you know, the STEM subjects, that's where true, unquestioned reality is found. And if we can train the mind to more and more think in machine-like terms via users' manuals, spreadsheets, and the like, then we're creating an educated mind, because education is ultimately about creating workers with skills. In terms of the ability to think about the ultimate questions of life, who are we? What does it mean to be human? Why are we here? What is the nature of reality? Who is God? What are my responsibilities before him? Uh, how may I be saved? These fundamental questions go totally unanswered in the Common Core curriculum, and therefore I would argue they are answered. They're answered in that these are personal, private, faith-based belief questions that have no place in our public square, and then we ask why we're in the position we are today. It's tragic, isn't it? It is. Dr. Stephen Turley, I so appreciate. um, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to come on the show again uh, sometime in the real near future. Uh, I have so many more questions I want to ask you, and I know that uh, lots and lots of folks have a ton of questions for you, but um, unfortunately we're out of time. But I really, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I would really, really – enjoy chatting with you uh, longer about this on the air because I I think the book, just in the little bit, uh, I've just read the part that's released. I didn't get a chance to get the book. 
uh, in my hands yet. So um, I had to read the excerpts that are available. And that being said, I'm it's really, really triggered me. My seminary education and divinity school education is very much like that, um, you know, what you're talking about. And I know you are absolutely revered as a teacher. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And I wish you the best with your book. And, folks, you know, you, you've got to you've got to go to fill your mind full of truth um, and and you need a classical guide to truth, goodness, and beauty, and and a great place to start. It's only seven dollars and ninety five cents. Uh, classical academic press, classical subjects creatively taught. Awakening wonder, a classical guide to truth, goodness, and beauty. All you have to do is search Dr. Stephen R. Turley, uh, and you will be able to uh, to get this book. And you'll be glad you did. It's very powerful. It's incredibly beautifully written, and I don't think you'll ever regret the time that you spend uh, immersing yourself in it. Uh, folks, I'm I'm so sorry that we're out of time. I would love to have more time with Dr. Turley. Dr. Turley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Sean. It's my pleasure. All right. Take good care. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, there you have it. There, There is a powerful, powerful series of lessons uh, both through Bill Norton, uh, citizen scholar, and and clearly and obviously, a uh, you know, Dr. Turley is is obviously a very brilliant man. Um, we've interfaced different times before, and and uh, we appreciate you listening, folks. Uh, send us messages through uh, Facebook, private messages there. Uh, send me messages through theninjapastor.com, through the Contact Me page, or com. any of those things, through Twitter, Facebook, any of those things. We'd love to hear from you. We really, really appreciate you listening, and uh, we look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Don't forget about Second Call Defense. Go to Second Call Defense, type in Ninja, and you'll save some money. It's a powerful, powerful thing. We're going to talk more about that next week. Thank you for joining us, folks. All the best. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www. DrSeanGreener.com In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.